0: Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Hello, friends, and welcome to another great week here on the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day, and I connected with Jay Kim this week. Jay Kim is a staff pastor at Vintage Faith Church in Santa Cruz, California, where he oversees leadership and teaching. He also serves on the leadership team of The Regeneration Project and co-hosts The Regeneration Podcast. Jay is featured in an in-depth interview in the March-April 2020 issue of Outreach Magazine and has just released his first book with InterVarsity Press entitled Analog Church. On this week's episode, Jay and I tackle a topic that's received much discussion recently, the digital age and the church. Jay shares how he is not anti-digital but points out how some aspects of the digital world can adversely impact the life of the church and why we need to make space to embrace analog opportunities. We discuss some practical analog ideas for the church, and Jay provides a helpful filter around the contrast of information and transformation. This is one episode that you're going to want to share with your entire team, so please join me in my conversation with Jay Kim. Jay, it is so good to have you with us here on the Church Leaders Podcast. Welcome, brother.
1: Oh, man, Jason, thanks so much. I'm, I'm thrilled to be on.
0: Yeah, no, I'm I'm excited to be talking with you because you are um, a gentleman who's in the trenches. You're uh, serving in the local church, um, but mm. you have recently written a, a book that is, um, I think, something that's very, very timely, and a lot of people are kind of— Asking some of the questions that you are touching upon in, in your newest book, Analog Church, and I love the subtitle of that book: "Why We Need Real People, Places, and Things in the Digital Age." And so, Jay, I would like to just kind of kick off with, you know, the, there's no question that we're living in a world that has a fast pace. We're heavily reliant on digital, right? I mean, most of us, if we leave our phone at home um, it's, it's panic, right? You know, if we drive away (laughs) from the house and we don't have our phone, we, you know, we, we don't remember how we're going to connect with everyone. We don't remember exactly where we're supposed to be, when we're supposed to be. And so we become reliant on, on this digital, and it's, it's a gift in many ways, right? It's a a useful tool. And yet in the church, there are lots of conversations around how, how can we properly and responsibly approach, um, the digital era and what does that mean? And, and and so there's some advocates who are like, oh, man, we need to go all in in the digital era. Um there's some who say, "Hey, we need to, you know, be very balanced." There's some who say, "Hey, digital is killing us." Right? So so there're different different places on, you know, people's opinions and perspectives. So I would love to just kind of kick it off, Jay, if you could share with us just generally from kind of just, you know, big picture overview, what is your sense in how digital plays into
1: Um, our life in the church? Yeah, well, that's a great question. It's a it's a big question. And you, um, you know, you sort of stated several huge ideas and complexities that I think we're uh, as church leaders, we're all wrestling with right now in the digital age. Um, You know, I, I guess if I had to land in one of those three categories, I guess the closest I would come would be to land in the place of balance. Um, although I think I would probably phrase it a little bit differently. Uh, One, uh, what I'm not saying is anything digital, anything of the internet is evil and should be shunned. So I'm not asking people to become Luddites and throw away any and every electronic device. Uh, and I certainly am not saying, and even, you know, um, speaking against. Uh, A reckless sort of thoughtless, careless leaning into all things digital. Um, Certainly I'm not saying that and actually speaking against that. Um, But rather than landing in the middle where I would say, hey, we've got to be balanced in how we hold digital and analog with one another. More than balance, I think it it requires a little bit more work than that. I think my hope through the book um, and through the ideas in the book is to invite specifically church leaders, but all followers of Jesus to consider uh, not just digital, but like everything in their life, and ultimately to to do the hard work of making sure that we are putting things in their rightful place. And I think that's the most, you know, sort of um, insidious thing about the digital age is that digital technologies have this way of masquerading um, as one hundred percent helpful mechanisms for connecting us with one another but that is a masquerade it's actually you know what all the research is showing us actually like in so many ways pulling us apart and isolating us and i think a lot of that has to do not with the technology itself but the fact that we've misplaced so many of these technologies we've put them on pedestals where they don't belong and we expect them to do work that they are um not capable of doing, for one, and in some cases actually work against the very thing that we hope it will do. So um, that's probably where I land. We've got to consider uh, the churches leaning into digital and make sure that we're doing the hard work of placing it in in the right places and removing them from the wrong places.
0: Yeah, that's that's excellent, Jay. And I love the way you phrase that because it moves beyond balance, right? Um, you know, it's not just like mm-hmm. two scales we're trying to keep things, you know, just kind of balanced, but it's actually us taking the right. time to reflect, um, which I think mm-hmm. is so very important. And and that even kind of goes into a lot of what you talk about, um, is this idea of slowing our pace and um yep. listening, right? So I think that's important. Yep. And oftentimes as ministry leaders, as pastors, we get, you know, we feel the the crunch of of responsibility. We feel that burden. Mm-hmm. And sometimes yeah. we we misplace kind of some of those feelings because we get caught up in like, there's so much to do. We need to go, go, yep. go. But yeah, uh, that's you, right. you're, you're talking about this idea of, you know, living in this analog world as a way of even kind of slowing down. Can you talk to us a bit about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. In the book, I I, I talk a bit about uh, the digital age presents, it's driven by three crucial values, right? Speed, choice, and individualism. So what I mean by that, in essence, um, is that in the digital age, Uh, we, everything is fast, the faster, the better. So now, you know, (laughs) you can think back to like dial up when it was first starting and, (laughs) you know, my mom would get on the phone and then I would lose internet connection. I was like, "No, no, that sort of thing. And now it's like dial up sounds so archaic, right? How, how slow it was. Um, and then choice in the digital age we have, we can choose anything from anywhere in the world. Uh, and individualism, right? Everything in the digital age is customizable. Um, and, and now we don't even quite do all the customizing and personalizing ourselves. There's like machine algorithms that customize and personalize for us. So we don't even have to participate in that act. And, and the point I'm trying to make is that when we're not careful, when, when those things, when those values go unchecked for long enough, which they have – Um, They turn really vicious. So the speed of the digital age has made us incredibly impatient. Um, The uh, the plethora of choices in the digital age has made us incredibly shallow. We never have to stick with one thing because there's always another choice. And the individualism... Uh, of the digital age has actually made us increasingly isolated because we can craft everything, all of our digital experiences around our preferences, and we find ourselves utterly alone. And, you know, the problem with that, in particular speed, what you were saying is that those values, when they turn vicious and and, um, increasingly make us impatient and shallow and isolated those things stand in stark opposition, in direct opposition, in my opinion, to the path of discipleship to Jesus, which is a patient path, slow and steady. It's a deep, deep work. It's not shallow. And it's incredibly communal. And in particular, getting back to your original question, you know, the speed of the digital age is just, it's making us not only lose our appetite, but it's making us lose our aptitude for anything that isn't instantaneous. Uh, A good friend of mine, Chris Nye, wrote a book uh, a year ago, and he has this great quote. He basically says, like, essentially, in the Silicon Valley, we want to microwave everything, Mm. but that's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is to plant seeds, to water, to let the sun shine, and slowly over time, watch this thing grow. Um, and and so I, for me, I think when we think about church leaders, and I think about church leaders all the time, one because I am one, and two because so many of my dearest friends are church leaders, and three because I love and believe in the mission of the local church. Um, you know, we have to we have to constantly check ourselves: Are we compromising the very intent and design of discipleship to Jesus for the sake of the efficiency? of the digital age. The digital age and its technologies are increasingly efficient. Every day, things get faster. But we have to remind ourselves, faster is not always better. And in particular, when it comes to following Jesus, slow and steady wins the race, right? Just like um, uh, the tortoise and the hare story reminds us. And uh, we, we've gotta lean into that. I believe we really have to lean into that as, as church leaders.
0: Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Thanks, Jay. Now let's let's dig into a little bit of the nitty gritty because mm-hmm. um, because the, the the landscape of the church, you know, yep. especially the Western Church, we see so many things happening. and Digital has become such just um, such a given in so many ways, really, um, in in the church. And so um, you you approach you know kind of three different areas, three different arenas: worship, right. community, and scripture. And so let's let's dive into the idea of worship. Let's start there. Mm. Can you talk to us about just from from kind of your research as you're working on the book and just like you said, your relationships, um not only where you are um, serving in a local church, but your relationships with other other pastors, um, talk to us a little bit about you know kind of worship in the digital age, what it has kind of become, and then mm. what are some of those things that you're 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 kind of shouting out and saying, hey, let's let's keep an eye on some of these things." Uh, yeah. Because because we might be missing like like you said the very heart of what we're called to be as Christ followers if we get too yep. sucked into this digital stuff so let let's start with worship
1: yeah that's great um, yeah I, I dig deep uh, try to dig deep in into some of this stuff in the bio, in the book but um, for me I think the starting point is uh, when it comes to worship the idea of worship like the biblical model for what the idea of worship is you know the The Hebrew words that are primarily used for worship, as well as the Greek word, Um, all of them, you know, three key words, like two Hebrew words and one Greek word in the Bible that are the primary words uh, used that we translate into the English word worship. All three of them share this in common. They um, they all mean something along the lines of falling prostrate, bowing down. the Greek word actually means to lean in and kiss the hand of one who is above you it's a sign of adoration. Um, every word that is translated into the English word worship in the Bible is actually a what I would call a whole-bodied participatory word. So, worship certainly is some of the elements that we understand today. I think most sort of modern Western. Evangelical Christians would say, "Oh, worship!" You're talking about the four songs that we sing every Sunday, um, and certainly it is that. But but I think me- most of us are aware it's more than that, right? And if you've been to church for any length of time, you've heard that like worship is not just singing; it's your whole life, and it's the orientation of sort of how you orient yourself toward God and posture yourself in in surrender and obedience. So I think we're familiar with that. But one of the things we're losing in the digital age, in particular is the idea that worship biblically is, again, it's whole-bodied participation. So it's not just a um, detached sort of thing you watch or witness or listen to and casually sing along or sway along to the music if and when you feel so inclined. Worship biblically is actually incredibly physical. Like, it's about the entirety of our bodies— um Expressing the inner reality of our surrender to God, our adoration of God, our deep love and allegiance and devotion to him. This is why like in Romans chapter 12, Paul says, "Hey, listen, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, right? This is your true and proper worship, like your actual body. Um, so for me, I think one of the dangers of the digital age is that uh, what is undeniable is that the digital age, And its technologies are disembodied, non-spatial realities. That's what makes digital technologies so incredibly efficient and enticing in many ways. It's that I can feel like I'm connected to you without ever physically being around you. You know, it's very easy for me to swipe or to scroll through my social media feed and click like or click that heart button or that retweet or whatever and feel like we're making some sort of connection, which we are in some way. But it is undeniably a disembodied reality. And for me, when it comes to worship, if we in our church gatherings and our worship services if we continue to accentuate the reality of the digital age for the sake of relevance, right, um, to, to be to, to work so hard to be on the front edge front edge of of digital sophistication with whatever it is, you know, sort of the spectacle of our worship gatherings. Um, then we might actually be compromising the biblical invitation to participate in worship um, with our whole bodies. And so I think when it comes to worship, what we have to do is invite people to participate in a whole-bodied way. So that plays out in a number of ways, like – When we sing songs together, are we just entertaining and performing or are we actually inviting participation? In other words, is our worship music something we want people to simply consume or is it something we want to invite them to create together? And Everything we do and how we do it expresses that reality one way or the other, how we light things, the volume, sort of, um, the performance spectacle aspects of things. And I think that's also true when it comes to preaching and teaching. You know, one of the things I get into in the book is the idea of video venues and the idea that the sermon is something that you can just watch, um, And I would argue against that, that I think the sermon at its finest is something much deeper, much more um, human, much more participatory, much more dialogical than monologue uh, than just simply something you watch. So I think this has ramifications in all sorts of ways um, that I get to in the book, but uh, there you go. There are just a few thoughts. Yeah,
0: that's good, Jay. Now, Now, can you kind of walk us through some analog worship examples? So we're pretty familiar with, um, you know, the the lyrics being projected on screens, lighting, those yeah. types of things are happening. So, so walk us through what are some things maybe that you guys do at your church, or that you've seen good practices in other churches and churches of varying sizes, because some of the the arguments that I've heard are well. With small, smaller churches are able to do more kind of analog mm-hmm. things than larger churches are, and that's probably a, yeah. a whole nother conversation. But if you have examples of churches of varying sizes, some of the analog worship mm-hmm. experiences, could you share some of those yeah. with us?
1: Yeah, I'll share a few. I'll share a handful when it comes to worship. This is so nuts and bolts, pragmatic stuff. But um, you know, at our church, one of the things we try to do is we we usually have a full band. You know, four, five, six piece band with drums and all of that. Uh, we do that, but um, we always, almost every Sunday in all of our gatherings, we almost always our worship leader almost always has um, extended sections of the singing where it's a cappella, where the band. Completely backs off, um, and and the room is just filled with the voices of the people. Uh, we actually um, borrowed this. From another church in Colorado Springs which is actually a large church a church much larger than ours who uh, for a long stretch a long season they ended every single one of their worship gatherings they left the room by singing the last thing they did together as the gathered church they would sing the doxology together all a cappella. a little bit of a keyboard pad you know sort of supporting it but other than that no vocals uh, no voices um, amplified through a microphone just a cappella a room full of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people filling the space and and some of those things what it does is it reminds you listen we gather here not to consume a performance by the worship music professionals we actually gather here to create worship together as the gathered people of god so that that, those are a couple of examples there's a church just north of here uh that's also a large church much larger than us ranging in in well over 1500 people i think and i love one of the things they do the the way they light their worship space so this is a large church that meets in a very large room but the way they light their worship gathering, especially during the music, they actually they backlight their band. So the, the, the um, lights, uh, shine from behind the band. So you actually just see this silhouette of the musicians on stage. And I think even something small like that is like such a beautiful expression because when I walk in the room, the sort of anonymity of the folks leading up front. Now I can hear them and and they can, they're they still leading pastorally because I can hear them clearly and, and all those things. And maybe during some talking moments, maybe a, a light shines on the worship leader just for a little bit so you can see his or her face. But for the most part during the session, singing the band is backlit and i think that communicates something really beautiful you know this is not some sort of show you're supposed to watch it's not a performance it's not the people on stage that you're supposed to just observe and hum along when you feel like it but rather we're in it together there's sort of anonymity of the folks on stage and we're all in this room together creating worship um, together so Those are a couple of examples. I think like when it comes to the teaching thing, we're seeing more and more churches, even large influential churches begin shifting away from sort of the classic uh, video venue, multi-site model churches like um, uh, Matt Chandler's church, The Village in the Dallas-Fort Worth area just recently made that shift and is continuing to make that shift. Uh, I think of guys like Dave Ferguson out um, in the Chicago area And, uh, sort of how many campuses they have, but it's like live teaching. So that sort of thing, you know, it demands a lot of work and maybe some restructuring for sure. But, um, it also empowers young leaders to feel like they can exercise their, their gifts of, of teaching and preaching in ways that maybe they otherwise wouldn't have the opportunity. So um, there you go. I don't know if that gets to it. Those are just a, a handful of examples that come to mind.
0: Yeah, those are great, Jay. Those are excellent. One that I was thinking of as you were talking that I wanted to pop in with, uh, just because yeah. I, was, I was like kind of just thinking through, but like our church here, a, a larger church, and we have uh, we have communion almost every Sunday, probably yeah. 46 out of the 52 weeks a year. I mean, there are only a few weeks uh, that we don't, and there are specific reasons why we don't. But we participate in communion, but what we do is every single worship gathering, people are invited to come forward to receive the elements. So it's not just mm-hmm. being passed mm-hmm. down the yep. aisle. And so yep. literally thousands of people in the building, and we take, you know, and it's it's done in a—, a a really organized way, but a beautiful way. Yeah. And so the preaching preaches to the table. People are invited to come, pick up the elements, take them back to their seats. It takes maybe five, six minutes for everyone to get everything. Mm-hmm. And then one um, of the pastors comes up and leads all of us in partaking in the bread and juice together, right? So it's, yeah. again, a very analog and um, one of those ways to make it very, very meaningful, you know, and even so yeah. taking that step to, and it's an intentional step to have people come forward, you know, with hands yeah. empty to receive. And um, yes. so so I, I just thought that as you were talking is just another way of like kind of inviting yeah. that that um, that very tangible piece of worship that I think sometimes we miss, right?
1: Yeah, that's beautiful, man. We do the same here. Yeah, every Sunday, every single Sunday. We invite people during the last few songs after the the sermon um, to come and take the elements, to take the bread and the cup together. You know, and as a preacher, actually, one of the things that's been really beautiful and profound for me in in having communion be sort of the place we land every week is it's just an incredibly profound reminder to me and to our community, ultimately at the end of the day, no matter what text we dove into no matter what ideas we explored where we always end up is back at our absolute desperation and need for the bread and the cup the sacrifice the resurrected christ and um man it never gets old you know that's a thing like when when you say like hey it's just communion sunday every month or something because we can't do it every week it's like man it never gets old you know it it is the constant sort of baseline of christian nourishment I, i have a whole chapter on uh, communion in the book towards the end. And um, yeah, I love that you guys do that. And and that affirms something. I, I've seen more and more churches um, lean into that. And I think that's a wonderful thing.
0: That's awesome, brother. Good stuff. Um, one of the things that you um, kind of champion in, in just kind of your speaking and your writing um, in the book itself, you talk about this, uh, the difference between uh, digital sources and tools, analog experiences. You talk about the fact that digital is, is great for transferring information, um, yeah. but it's really poor at transformation. So yeah. let's dig into that a little bit.
1: Yeah. Yep. You took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah. That's it, man. I, I um, you know, it's something I thought about for a long time early on before the book sort of came to life, as I was just wrestling with these ideas. It's like, okay, what what is it? You know, what is it that like viscerally I'm feeling? Like what, what is the actual concrete differentiation that I'm feeling inside? And, and eventually that's, that's what I realized that, um, again, this is why I'm not a Luddite, you know, I'm not mm-hmm. saying let's throw away all of our digital. No way. Like right. I, I have a deep appreciation for digital and for the technologies, um, that the digital age have has given us, uh, if, and when we're able to, to place them in the right place. So. You and I are having this conversation, you know, hundreds, thousands of miles away from each other, um, and we're able to because of digital technology. And uh, that's a beautiful, wonderful thing. But um, essentially for me, what, what, I, what it came down to is this. I think digital... Uh, digital technologies, digital mediums are not only appropriate, but I think in many ways they're most effective often for the exchange of information and even some inspiration. I think that we are able to uh, certainly inform and definitely even in some ways inspire digitally. And so what I say in the book is as a church leader, that's, all, that's really one of the main things I'm asking you to do. Is this message, and I don't mean like literally a sermon message, I just mean anything you're trying to communicate or exchange as a church leader with your community that you lead and serve, is this intended to inform them and maybe even inspire them? And if the answer to that is yes, if that's the primary intention, then certainly, you know, leverage digital. It's really effective. But anything transformational, I believe, has to be analog, and what I mean by analog is it has to be embodied Spatial, shoulder to shoulder, human in the truest, most visceral, tactile sense. That's how transformation happens at the deepest uh, level. And there's lots of reasons for that. Um, One, you know, God created us as embodied creatures. You know, He takes dust and He breathes life and He forms from the dust and from the side of man, you know, humans man and male and female and there's you know there's that'll never change like humans are humans because we are dust and bone and blood and all of those things and because of that you know um uh, Leonard Vanderzee, this this writer who writes about communion that I quote in the book, he talks about this. He says, like, because we are physical, tangible creatures, at our at our core essence, we need physical, tangible realities in order to experience real change, true transformation. You know, getting back to communion, even I think that's one of the reasons why. In one of his final acts before going to the cross, what Jesus does, he doesn't leave his followers with an idea or even like a song to remember him by. He shares a meal, which is like the most analog experience in all of human experience, right, to eat and to drink. The most baseline, analog, human, physical, tangible, palpable reality that, that we can think of. And so, um, you know, you think about it this way, just the transformation information uh, sort of difference. If I were to um, write you know, a love letter to my wife if I was far away traveling or something, the most efficient thing to do would be to write her an email because I could, I type much faster than I physically write. I don't have to go buy a card or get a piece of paper or a pen. I could just, you know, bang it out on my laptop really quick or even on my phone. And think about how efficient it is. It would be like, instantaneous. She would she would get it instantaneously or not even an email. I could just text her. Right. Like my thumbs are really fast now. (laughs) I can text a little love letter to her so quickly. But why is it that viscerally every single one of us know that a love text just falls short of a love letter? right? The love letter is way more inefficient. It's not digital, it's analog, which means I have to go get a piece of paper, I have to take a pen, I have to write with my hands, which takes exponentially more time than typing, uh, either with my fingers or my thumbs. Uh, And then I have to like, go get an envelope. And then I have to get a stamp. And then I have to, you know, go to a post office and drop it off. And then it takes days to get to her, depending on where I am. Grossly inefficient. And yet, the analog love letter means exponentially more, and it does something totally different in our relationship than the digital love text. You know, and why is it that we viscerally know that? It's because we are analog humans who understand that the visceral, physical, tangible, tactile realities. Uh, are the things that run most deep within us and that's why i think analog realities are the things that really we really need in order to experience transformation and so i say go digital all the way when we're trying to inform and even inspire but if we want to experience real transformation at some point we've got to ourselves and we have to invite the communities we serve and lead to actually physically show up
0: yeah that's good jay as we're kind of beginning to wind down our conversation, I was wondering if there are some specific things that are kind of on your heart. And, and as you've been writing this book and as you've been talking to, to other pastors that maybe we haven't touched on, but are some mm-hmm. things that you say, man, these are some key things. Like if I could help um, share just some insights, some things that I've learned with my brothers mm-hmm. and sisters in ministry um, you know, here are just a couple of things that that I want to make sure I leave with them.
1: Well, yeah, it's a great question. I mean, there's so much I want to say, um, which is why I wrote a book. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, you know, a lot of it is in there. I guess if there's just one thing I would say. Um, You know, it's been heartbreaking for all of us. I know it's been heartbreaking for you. It's certainly been for me. When I see sort of in recent years and even just like this past week, like it feels like it's a weekly exercise where we read some Crazy story about some church leader we love and respect, and their work has deeply impacted our lives. And we read some headline mm. about a, a tragic, tremendous fall from grace, whether it was something from the past that came to light recently or something that just recently happened, whatever it is. And um, when I read stories like that, you know, I can't help but ask the question man, what would it take? for me to be that headline and almost always the answer like sadly but soberingly is it not much (laughs) like i am susceptible i'm susceptible yeah and when i think about that in light of the digital age i think that potential is it's accelerated in in the cultural moment in which we find ourselves and the reason for that uh, there's lots of reasons, but one of the main reasons, the digital age lends itself to comparison, mm. which then eventually leads to contempt. Um, You know, it, it. how often are we tempted to open up our phone and we follow different church leaders and different churches and ministries on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and whatever else you use? How often are we scrolling? We're like, oh, man, you know, like... I wish my church looked like that, or I wish I had that sort of influence on a national level, or I wish I was writing books like that, or I wish I was speaking on that stage like this guy or that gal or whatever. Like how often, when we're really honest with ourselves, how often does that happen? Or how how high is the potential for that sort of thing to happen? I just think that's the world in which we live. And that makes us incredibly susceptible to the work of the enemy. And I would say this, this is the one major thing I want to say. In light of the fact that we live in that sort of cultural moment where the enemy has such um, an incredibly effective tool to drive comparison and eventually contempt within us, the most um, effective thing I think we can do to counteract that work of the enemy, to drive us toward comparison and contempt, Is to lean into the fact that we are called to be the sorts of pastors and leaders who are exactly in the place that God has called us in the time and with the people that God has called us to be with, to serve and to lead. And that, that's the one major encouragement I would leave. It is really easy, for example, to even like listen to this podcast. And I've listened to this pro- podcast, and it's been an incredible encouragement to me. But all these incredible scroll of names of like incredible church leaders and scholars and theologians that I love and respect, it's like, you know what? God, I love the work of N.T. Wright, but God has not called me to be N.T. Wright. <laughs> You know, I love the work of Tim Keller, and it's easy for me to look at Keller and be like, how do I get to that place? Well, the reality is like, I'm not Tim Keller. And if I tried to be Tim Keller, what I would be doing is I would be taking away from my community here the very gift of who I am and what God has called me to give um, and to lean into in this place for these people. And if I do that, then I am missing the crucial part I'm, I'm called to play in the unfolding story of God right here and now. And that's true for every church leader listening to this podcast. Where God has you, for however long he has you there, is exactly where you're supposed to be. That the way he has wired you and uniquely gifted you, man, there is an intersection between those things and the people and places and things that you are surrounded by right now. So that would be my encouragement. In the digital age, you have access to like all the best preachers and all the best music and all the churches and you can see their websites and blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. But the reality is while we ought to glean and learn, we should not copy and become caricatures. Mm. We have to lean into who God has called us to be amongst the people and the places and the things to which he has called us. Um, And when we do that, I think that God can and will continue to use the local church to change the world. That is such a good word, brother.
0: Such a good word. I appreciate you, Jay. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Real quickly, if people want to connect with you, if they want to learn more about the book, what's the best way they can do that?
1: Yeah. uh, Well, thank you, Jason, for having me on. It's like so much fun. Uh, We could talk for hours and hours longer yes. but um yeah the best place to find me is uh, i guess my website i have a little little website um it's just jkimthinks.com not that i'm the only person that thinks i just mean these are the things i'm thinking <laughs> jkimthinks.com and that's also like my twitter and instagram jkimthinks um and all the links to my book and uh, our church and different things i'm working on it's all there on the website and and so there you go.
0: Excellent, excellent. We'll have uh, we'll have links there in the show notes for our listeners. Uh, to your website and to the book, and super excited! And you um, are on the cover of this, uh, the newest edition of Outreach Magazine, March-April 2020. Yeah. they did a really cool interview with you. Great stuff in there. So, uh, congrats so on that. So much fun. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for for featuring uh, the book and believing the ideas so much. That that means a great deal to me. So thank you guys.
0: Oh yeah, I think I think your book is has a very timely message. And uh, I'm so excited for the the impact that's going to have on the church. So thank you for being obedient, and uh, as God laid things on your heart, uh, taking the time to put it on paper, and to uh, think through it and process and pray through it, and uh, make it available to the the greater church. So thank you for your ministry, brother.
1: Yeah, thank you, Jason, so much.
0: Appreciate it. All right, God bless you.